Greetings, church and friends of the church. It is our 16th weekend uh, in this COVID season. And um, what I offer today um, is related to the connected series of reflections that I've been offering to the world uh, for consideration over the first 15 weeks of this season. Um, reflections about this wilderness time of being disconnected from what's normal as we used to know it and on this journey of uncertainty toward a new future that we can't yet clearly see. Um, but but this, this reflection is a more um, narrow, it's more particular in focus, rather than being more of a general philosophical reflection on the realities of our physical and spiritual natures. Um, it's a very pointed reflection that I'm, I'm feeling compelled to make. So we interrupt your regularly scheduled episode um, in order to um, name something in particular. Um, what I'm compelled to reflect on out into the world today is going to sound to many as um, a political message. But I want to invite all of my friends on the right and on the left alike to consider yourselves and the world at a deeper level than this uh, binary identity choice that's forced on us by the current political structure and climate. I want to invite you to reflect in this time at the spiritual and pre-political level. Instead of um, jumping back to defend the party line or jumping forward to attack the other, I invite you to consider the larger reality, to let these other voices speak in that place of authority of spirit within you. And I, and I hope and pray that your reflections at a deeper pre-political level might then have something to say about how you formulate your political attitudes and actions moving forward. So friends, what I invite you to consider at the pre-political level is this that racism is sin, that it's the opposite of um, what we were created to carry within our spirits, that enabling racism to continue in our governmental systems is to participate in that sin, to enable it, that an indifference to racism in our governmental systems because we like the benefits of those systems is to participate in and enable that sin. And that therefore the only faithful, spiritual, humane response to the reality of racism in our governmental systems is to actively oppose it. Again, I invite you to hear all this that I'm about to say at a pre-political level. This is about spiritual integrity and truth and not about me making a partisan argument. When the leader of the highest elected office in our nation says that immigrants from Africa are coming from shithole countries, implies that all immigrants from Mexico and South America are rapists and other hardened criminals, says that there are many good people on both sides of the Charlottesville rallies, seeks to instigate travel bans of specifically Muslim nations without due cause, condones violence against black protesters at his rallies, and most recently shares the video of one of his supporters chanting white power, we have to ask ourselves, 
What does this mean? When there are Pennsylvania state leaders who sabotage efforts to bring reform to gerrymandering that unfairly privileges white communities, who try to make English the required language in the state, who introduce legislation to end the quote-unquote illegal alien invasion, who have Jewish and black constituents arrested in their office instead of taking the time to listen to them. We have to ask, what does that mean? When there are local county leaders, like in our county, Montgomery County, who put out a public press release that cause, calls peaceful black protesters, quote unquote, domestic terrorists and radical left-wing hate groups. We have to ask, what does this mean? It, what it means is that racist ideals are interwoven into the tapestry of our political system from the most local of politics all the way up to the highest political office in our nation. What it does not mean is that everyone who voted for these people is racist. However, it does mean that it is possible, and in fact, I would argue that this is what has actually happened, that in voting with a particular political motivation as a higher priority than whether or not that candidate is racist, well-intentioned voters have enabled those with racist ideals to be in those places of power and authority, that that has been detrimental to our minority communities. I know and love many conservatives in my social circle. They're passionate about maintaining a traditionally conservative approach to a wide range of political issues. I know and love many progressives in my social circle. Likewise, they're passionate about maintaining a progressive approach to a wide range of political issues. However, those on both sides of the aisle have at some point or another enabled racism in places of authority. In voting with a particular political motivation as the primary motivation, um, guns, abortion, judicial appointments, um, budget, economy, healthcare, trade, fill in the blank, Instead of having the primary motivation be to vote for those, whether conservative or progressive, who will keep their vows to serve and seek the well-being of all their constituents, regardless of race. The result of this miscalculation in primary political motivations has been costly. Racially motivated hate crimes and overt displays of racism have increased, and political policies that protect people of color and seek to restore them to places of justice and equity have been sabotaged and silenced. Einstein is famously quoted as saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, all the while expecting a different result. There is a reckoning in America that's unfolding before our eyes. It's time for people of faith and people of goodwill to commit to no longer enabling or ignoring racism in power for political benefit. Why am I compelled to say this? To interrupt regularly scheduled programming and, and to speak this word out into the ether. Well, because when I was ordained to ministry 
12 years ago, I made several vows, the most critical of which was to vow to fulfill my ministry and to live my life in obedience to Jesus under the authority of Scripture and by the continual guidance of our confessions as a denomination. And I want to elaborate on those three parts of this vow that I made so you can have a better understanding of where I'm coming from in making this claim, that it is time for us, regardless of our partisan affiliation, to commit to no longer enabling or ignoring racism in our elected officials. I vowed on my honor to fulfill my ministry and live my life in obedience to the ways of Jesus. I promised to base the attitudes and actions of my own life in the way that I sought to guide and invite others to live on the example of Jesus. Jesus refused to consider the Samaritan woman at the will as a second-class citizen, um, as was normative at the time. He healed the servant of a Roman centurion and the daughter of a Canaanite woman, um, both members of other tribes and races. The, uh, one of the stories about Jesus feeding a crowd of thousands took place in a predominantly Gentile region, which meant that his compassionate concern was not just for his own tribe. Jesus launched his movement in the midst of the Pharisaical Jewish institution, which was the primary sect of Judaism of his day, and was a very literalist and fundamentalist Judaism. In this legalistic religious and social order, there were several laws that condoned and sanctioned judgmentalism and racism toward others at best and exceptionalism, slavery, and conquest at worst. There was much Jewish nationalism in his day, which led to the dehumanizing of others like the Samaritans and led to zealot violence against the Romans. But Jesus' message was different. His politic, the religious and social order that he advocated for, had something much different to say to the Jewish people about their neighbors. In response to this literalist, fundamentalist, legalistic, Pharisaic set of laws, Jesus said, a new law, a new command I give you, that you love one another. He said, this is how others will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. He said, whatever you wish that others would do to you or for you, you do for them. He said, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in this, that you love God and you love your neighbor as you love yourselves. And when someone asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? He answered with a parable about a Samaritan hero offering compassionate help to a Jewish victim. Jesus imagined his movement creating disciples, followers of his way, of all peoples in all nations. Following the example of Jesus in life is incompatible with racism. I cannot base my life on the example of Jesus without coming to the conclusion that racism is sin, that enabling racism to continue within our governmental systems is to participate in that sin, that an indifference to racism in our governmental systems because we benefit from those systems is to participate in that sin 
and that the only faithful, spiritual, humane response to the reality of racism in our governmental systems is to actively oppose it. I vowed on my honor to fulfill my ministry and live my life under the authority of Scripture. According to the Scriptures, comes from the book of Acts, Peter, arguably Jesus' closest friend and most ardent follower, said this, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. According to the scriptures, the community of the first disciples and apostles post-Jesus gathered in Jerusalem to respond to the criticism they were getting from the Pharisees for including non-Jews in their community. In response, this is what they said. God, who knows the human heart, gave them God's Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. According to the scriptures, early Christian leader Paul, a convert from the Pharisees, stood before the Greeks in Athens and said, God made all the nations of the earth and is near to each one of us. In God, we all live and move and have our being. You, too, are God's offspring. Many of Paul's letters, which are canonized as scripture, include things, uh, um, guidance like this. God shows no partiality. There is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. And he also wrote, Jesus is our peace, for he has made us from two into one and has broken down the dividing wall of our hostility. In the Apostle John's letters, also canonized this scripture, John wrote, Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. In the letter of James, canonized as scripture, James wrote, If you show partiality, you are committing sin. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You fulfill the royal law of Scripture when you love your neighbor as yourself. And in Jude's letter, canonized this Scripture, Jude wrote, It is worldly people, devoid of God's Spirit, who cause divisions. If I read the whole story that the Scriptures tell, and I don't just cherry-pick pieces out of context and force them to say what I want them to say, or to reinforce what I want to believe, I absolutely come to the conclusion that racism is sin, that enabling racism to continue within our governmental systems is to participate in that sin, that an indifference to racism in our governmental systems because we benefit from them is to participate in that sin, and that the only faithful, spiritual, humane response to the reality of racism in our governmental systems is to actively oppose it. The story that the scriptures tell about God and humanity is incompatible with racism. 
And finally, I vowed uh, on my honor to have a life in a ministry that are guided by our confessions, which are articulations of what we are called to believe and do in the context of our world. The Confession of 1967, which was authored by some within our denomination during the civil rights era, says that the members of the church are emissaries of peace and seek the good of all in cooperation with powers and authorities in politics, culture, and economics. But they have to fight against pretensions and injustices when these same powers endanger human welfare. In that same confession is also this guidance. God has created the peoples of the earth to be one universal family. In reconciling love, God overcomes the barriers between sisters and brothers and breaks down every form of discrimination based on racial or ethnic difference, real or imaginary. Therefore, the church labors for the abolition of all racial discrimination and ministers to those injured by it. Congregations, individuals, or groups of Christians who exclude, dominate, or patronize others resist the Spirit of God and bring contempt upon the faith which they profess. The Confession of Belhar, which was originally written in South Africa during the context of apartheid, confesses this guidance for the church. Unity is both a gift and an obligation for the church that through the working of God's Spirit, it is a binding force, yet simultaneously a reality that must be earnestly pursued and sought. Unity must become visible so that the world may believe that separation, enmity, and hatred between groups is sin and must be resisted. Therefore, we reject any doctrine which absolutizes either natural diversity or the sinful separation of people. 1983 Brief Statement of Faith, another denominational confession, has this guidance, which I have vowed to live by. We trust in God's Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice and freedom and peace. I cannot live by the guidance of our confessions, as I vowed to do, without confessing that racism is sin, that enabling racism to continue in our governmental systems is to participate in that sin, that um, an indifference to racism in our governmental systems, because we benefit from those systems, is to participate in that sin, and that the only faithful humane, spiritual response to the reality of racism in our governmental systems is to actively oppose it. My deepest sense of who I am is my spiritual being. That part of me that's shaped by my sense of the God of all creation, that part of me that knows I was meant to live on this planet in peace with everyone else, all the other children of the Creator. My spirituality is pre-political. It tells me the greatest truth about who I am, who God is, and who others are, which in turn causes me to formulate political views on any and every issue or question. I invite you to consider that your deepest sense of who you are is your spiritual being, not your national identity, not your partisan identity, 
not your familial identity, but your spiritual identity. I beg and plead you to live a life worthy of the calling that is offered to us all in that deeply spiritual place, the call to strive for peace and justice together. I beg and plead you to confess that racism is sin and that enabling racism in our government is to participate in that sin and that to be indifferent to it because we benefit from that political system is to participate in that sin and that the only faithful, spiritual, humane response to the reality of racism in our governmental systems is to actively oppose it. Please don't vote for racist leaders because of their other political stances that suit or benefit you. As Jesus invited his followers, so I invite you because I'm convinced it's true. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world, but to forfeit their soul? Please love your neighbor as yourself. And that means no longer enabling those to remain in power who seek to demean, devalue, and destroy your neighbor. As Jesus invited his followers in the parable of the sheep and goats, so I invite you because I'm convinced it's true. It is intentionally living with love for the least of our sisters and brothers, those most oppressed and marginalized and beat up and dehumanized by the broken structures of our world, including our governmental systems. It's that intentional living for their sake that leads to the deepest senses of joy and meaning in life. I hope and pray that this be a pre-political consideration that invites a deeper integrity, meaning, and joy in your lives. Be well, stay home, stay safe. Peace be with all.